Welcome to the First Right Podcast, your weekly conservative news show brought to you by Restoration Pack. I'm Doug Truax, president and founder of Restoration Pack. Today we're excited to talk again with Mark Weaver, an Ohio-based political expert and author, among other things. Mark's got this great book, A Wordsmith's Work, about the power of words in politics. And this topic is more important than ever as the leftists are running wild with language in the post-truth world. Well, hey, Mark, uh, great to see you again. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Doug. So you've got this long track record of a, being a great communicator in courtrooms, government offices, the political world, and that's for decades. And so I'd like to hear from you, you know, what in general do people get right and what do they get wrong when they try to communicate? Well, you're right. I have been communicating in a lot of places. In a lawyer, As a lawyer, I communicate in court, but as a communications consultant, I help our clients communicate in the court of public opinion where I often remind my clients that there are more judges, there are no appeals, and the, the rules of evidence don't apply in that court. One of the things I see people getting wrong many times in communications is that when they're coming up with their message, they're viewing the topic from the viewpoint of the sender rather than the viewpoint from the receiver. And if, give me one quick example. You, you know you're writing an email to a list of 10,000 people, so you start with dear friends, forgetting that each email goes to a single person and is read by a single person and doesn't think of themselves as a group and doesn't think of themselves as part of a, a group getting a message. Now, it might be different if you're in a, a lecture hall with a thousand people and the speaker says, good to see you, friends, because then you know you're part of a group. But when you write a mass email as if you're speaking to a mass audience instead of speaking to one particular person, that's an example of thinking like the sender instead of thinking like the receiver. Yeah, that is very common. And uh, like you've done a lot of consulting with big companies and I'm sure you've had to tell some CEOs, hey, don't do that again. That's yes. not that's yeah. not going to work. That's not going to work. Right. So, uh, so yeah, great point. Well, let's talk about politics too, obviously. Uh, we, we, uh, we are very much in that field, you and I. And so the leftists, you know, they're running much of our country and becoming more aggressive and this false language they throw, we're post-truth world we're living in. Uh, you know, what, what do you think conservatives can do to fight back against them? Well, we have the truth on our side and we need to use the truth whenever possible, right. but the truth isn't enough. You have to be able to advance the truth in a way that people will remember. Right. Uh, Americans are so tired of politicians and political leaders saying things without any evidence or, or making claims that are overheated. We have the facts on our side, but if we wanna communicate them effectively, we will use examples or uh, proof points, I like to call them, that make it very easy to persuade. So for example, I could say to you, you know, Doug, I'm an experienced communicator, and that's a claim, that's not a proof point. Or I could say, Doug, you know, I've advised more than a thousand leaders in 27 different states, and I've been doing this for more than three decades. Those three fact points put together make the proof point that I'm an experienced communicator. And so on our side, we need to remember that we shouldn't be making claims, we should be advancing proof points and when we're using the web, we should be linking to genuine documents and genuine sources that would allow someone who might be a little skeptical to go right to a source document to see that what we're saying is correct. Yeah, and that whole proof side of it, I think is what tends to make people in our space, conservatives, a little too passive at times because we see something, we just know it's wrong. 
You know, we know it's right and we see something we know it's wrong and the emotion gets involved, but you don't take the time to get the point by point piece. And, you know, tying these things together, the corporate side and uh, the political side, I've found over the years in the sales world, there's only a certain amount of things people are gonna object to. You know, you say something, you know, they're probably gonna say one or two or three things back to you. Well, then in this case, like we're talking about, once they say it back, know what you're gonna go back at them with, with the facts, you know? And I, and I would say, I'd like to get your opinion on this too. Do you think that like conservatives and Republicans uh, in our communication style, we've just been too passive, too defensive over the years, and maybe it's kind of related to this whole fact thing? Yeah, it is. Uh, sometimes we think the facts are enough, but we're also seeing in modern communications that people's feelings get in the way. Yeah. Uh, this was fully on display a few weeks ago when the New York Times wrote an article about how Smith College had false allegations of racism against a security guard and a cafeteria worker. Uh, yet the way New York Times uh, laid, laid out the issue was they said it was a question of the, the, the truth versus some individual students strongly held personal views of the truth. And that's just a fancy way of saying feelings. Right. And, and, and we as uh, on our side, sometimes we are focusing more on, listen, the facts should win out. But when you're having an argument with somebody or a discussion with somebody who's coming from a feelings-based viewpoint, the facts often won't be persuasive because the person who you're talking to thinks that how people feel is more important than what's true. Yeah, and I know that, you know, growing up, my folks always told me, I don't care what you feel about that, what's true? And, you know, we're in a world now where all this relativism and the feelings of the moment are way more important than anything else. And uh, yeah, it's driving all of us conservatives crazy, but we have to, we have to push back on this. So, um, you know, in that realm too, so, we're, you know, you and I are both obviously very interested in voter integrity uh, as an issue and uh, as are most conservatives as we're, as we're seeing out there. So let's talk about language there. You know, we get constantly, the Democrats are constantly saying, oh, voter suppression and, and all those types of things. So, so, you know, the audience here is a lot of conservatives. So help us understand what we need to say to push back when we get the, the inevitable, oh, you're just suppressing votes by wanting voter integrity. Right. Well, one of the world's first greatest persuaders was Socrates. And Socrates is the one who reminded us that truth begins and wisdom that begins with the definition of terms. So how we define the words we're using goes a long way to persuading. And so if we're going to talk about voter integrity, we need to tell people what we mean by that. And for example, what I mean by that when I talk about voter integrity is that every voter's vote should count equally and that when one person gets more votes than another, or when someone who's not eligible to vote votes, that that's a civil rights violation that actually dilutes or undermines the votes of another American. And when you explain it like that, the polling is pretty clear, people are opposed to that notion. People wanna make sure that votes are counted equally. And using language that points to how we define the term brings people to our side. We see this in the race argument as well. Uh, nearly every American is against racism and they'll speak out against particular instances of racism. But when you use the term systemic racism without defining what that means, that's where people aren't sure. And are, it's hard to persuade people with that because I would maybe suggest that some folks are purposely being vague about what that might mean because it, it, it forces them to prove 
examples of how an entire system can be racist. Yeah, yeah, and I, that's uh, that whole side of the tying it back to the civil rights issue. Uh, you said you talked about that the last time we were together, and I, that just the light bulb moment because it does tie back to somebody where something that everybody's like, well, that's a, of course we cannot have a civil rights violation, and then they go, well, that's that's right, and if it's just one, I think you talked about too. Uh, you made a comment about uh, being challenged on it, and then you said, well, uh, are you saying that the, the entire election system is perfect? Well, I, mean, I wouldn't say that. It's like, okay, well, if it's not perfect, which we should try to attain, then we are cheating some people, and then you get back to the civil rights thing. Yeah, it's a good point. Is uh, Anybody who's honest will acknowledge that our system is not perfect, and anyone who's honest will acknowledge that there were problems with the election. Right. The question is, are you willing to be committed to making sure it doesn't happen again? Right. And if you're not committed to that, we need to know why you're not committed to that. And that was probably most persuasively made the case in uh, Justice Clarence Thomas's recent dissent from the hearing of an elections case, where Justice Thomas made the point better than I can make it, where he said, okay, so some people didn't want us to take up the case during the election to resolve any potential irregularities. Why aren't those folks interested in us taking up the case after the election to stop future problems? And I would suggest to you that's a hard case for the other side to make, that there shouldn't be a review and a resolution for any problems ahead of the next election cycle. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to deny the motivations seem to be a little nefarious, right? They, they're okay with some of these problems because they, they capitalize on them. And uh, yeah, well, there's a lot to cover there. But so what do you, what's your overall impression, like in terms of what you've seen now? You know, we went through all the conspiracy stuff and Sidney Powell and everything, and now we're kind of getting more into the weeds. What's your take on where this whole piece is going now that the, uh, you know, hopefully the, the bear has been kicked now, and uh, we're all much more aware of this voter integrity issue that's looming out there. Well, what what I'm reminded of is that the, the, the quality and the credibility of our messengers matters. We need to have people who bring credible messaging proof points, and we also need to pick our spots, right? It's, it's not credible to say that every election and everywhere in the country was tainted. That's just right. not credible because nobody would believe that. I don't think it's true. Right. But it's also not credible to say everything's fine, pay no attention, there's no need for voter reform or for election reform. And there's gotta be an answer in the middle where people of good character on the left and the right can come together and resolve these problems because what makes America such an important form of government, the representative democracy that we have, this republic that we all uh, you know, believe in, what makes us so special is that we pick our own leaders in a process where nobody puts their thumb on the scale. And if, if the voters believe, or if a large section of the voters believe that someone put their thumb on the scale, they're not going to trust the, 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 the leaders who are in position. And as a result, distrust in government breeds eventually more division. And we all know we're in a divided time right now. Yeah, this whole voter integrity piece is turning into a big civics lesson that, you know, sometimes we just take things for granted. And now it's like, whoa, if we don't get this right or if it keeps slipping away from us like this, you get to that lack of confidence. Uh, we don't want that. You know, that's that's a bad place to be in because the alternatives are not good at that place, you know. And uh, so uh, one last question on the voter integrity thing. So when we move down this path, I, I think that there's a lot of power uh, in the the group or whatever that can figure out how to show up with 
irrefutable numerical proof that hey this was wrong right here uh what are you going to do about it you know what what are your thoughts on that i, I my sense is it's coming that there's going to be some look at what happened here here's a certified number there's a certified number why why is that so different you know what's that going to be like in your opinion when when we get to that place here down the road I think there are groups out there with credible people who will bring forth evidence that requires the f folks who make election laws and state legislatures to look closely at what the problems might have been. And then it will, it'll come to the media to see whether they are willing to allow this discussion to take place. Right. Because all too often lately we're seeing media voices saying, you know what, there are some issues that we choose not to cover because we simply don't want to have that discussion out there. And any media outlet that says that I would suggest uh, is not one that ought to be trusted because no matter what you view about what happened in the last election or the problems of the next election, we could all agree that a discussion of it goes right to the core of who we are as a country. Yeah, and that media piece, it's getting more and more clear all the time. And clarity is a good thing, you know? It's like what you said, when if the next time there's a massive problem and somebody's like, ah, don't look over there, it's one more piece that's like, well, I'm not paying attention to those guys ever again. So that's, we're getting there. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a sad thing, but it's a, it's a turnover. It's got, it's got to happen. So, well, thanks for all your work and, and thanks for all the efforts over the years and, and what you've been helping us with. It's really good stuff. And I appreciate you coming on and hope to have you back. Thanks, Mark. Thank you, Doug. Well, all right. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for tuning in and for supporting conservative media. Don't ever forget working together and staying diligent. We conservatives can bring our country back to true greatness. So until next time, let's all keep praying that God will continue to bless America. First Right, a new kind of news summary without liberal slant. Every morning, in your inbox, always free. Subscribe now at restorationofamerica.com slash firstright or text firstright to 1-312-820-9167.